Not really a lie, because I thought it was true. I misled you. I told you I was done with the race series, the, the race of faith. And I cannot get away from it. I went to pray this week. I said, all right, Lord, I'm ready for a new theme, a new inspiration. And he said, you're not done with the race. And I said, no, I really am done because I told him I'm done. And he said, they'll understand, they'll forgive you because they need to hear the rest of Hebrews 12. So I said, okay. And I looked and boy, is it rich. So I want to talk to you today again, race part five, the race of faith part five. And we're going to talk out of Hebrews 12. Let me put up here the first two verses we've read four weeks in a row. And here it is. And this has to do with the race of faith. And this is where our walk is identified and explained. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance. What, everybody? Say it again. The race. So everybody in here is running a race. We're on a track. The track is the narrow road that leads to life. Now he says, let us run with patience or perseverance, another version, endurance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, we had stopped right there for four weeks. But it goes on. And in the next part, in the next eight verses, the Bible explains an aspect of our race that we really need to understand. And that is the chastening of God, the discipline of God. Now, don't cringe when I say that. I didn't hear a lot of amens when I said the chastening of God. Because nobody likes to hear that. But you will like it once I explain it. So let's continue. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, and I can add my daughter, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he Chastens. Now turn to your neighbor and say, that must be you. Because he loves you. Can everybody say with me, he loves me. Well, if we believe he loves us, then guess what he's going to do? He's going to chasten us. And he scourges every son and every daughter that he receives. If you endure that chastening, now here's the if, and you know what I've told you about if. When you see if, it means it's a, it's a conditional promise. Part of it hinges on our response. So if you endure chastening, God is going to deal with you as a son. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all Christians have become partakers, then you're illegitimate. You're not a real Christian. You're not a son of God. It goes on. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. We pay them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. 
But he, why does God do it? Read it with me. For our profit, that we may be, what? Read it. Partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Now, turn to your other name and say, I know that's right. When God chastens or disciplines or trains, it's, it, it is painful. Nevertheless, afterward, there's always an afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Father, thank you for your word today. And I pray that you will open our eyes, illuminate us, that we might embrace the discipline of God and understand better the race that we're in. Can you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now tell your neighbor, perk up and listen. You're going to need this before you get home. Now, um, what a great, great, great chapter Hebrews 12 is. And I want you to notice he used the word chasten. Now, I call this the discipline of the Lord. I could have called it the chastening of the Lord. It's, it's discipline chastening. But here, let me tell you what it means. When we hear the word chasten, I used to read this verse, and the first thing that went through my mind was punishment. That God was punishing me, whooping me for doing something wrong. Now, here's the deal. The word chasten doesn't mean to punish. It means to discipline or to train. It means the training of the Lord. The training of the Lord is what he's talking about, the discipline of God. He disciplines you and me that we might be disciplined people. Training. This is the word in the Bible that is used for training and education of children. It means to train somebody. It's the kind of instruction that trains somebody to reach into full maturity. That's what it's talking about. So we are not to despise the training, the discipline of the Lord. It's a part of the race that we're in. Now, you probably recognize this verse from coming out of the Old Testament. And it, it, he's quoting Solomon in Proverbs 3, verse 11, where Solomon says, Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't take it lightly. That's what despised means. It doesn't mean I hate the chastening of the Lord or the disciplining of God. It means don't take it lightly. Don't take it flippantly. When God comes into your life, when God begins to deal with you, to train you, to discipline you, don't take it lightly. Don't take the discipline of God lightly. Oh, yeah, well, I might respond to it. I might not. He says, no, when God starts to train you in something, bring self-discipline to your life, train you up in godliness, take it very seriously and respond to it. Work with God in the training. Here's the gist of the exhortation. It is, if you faint in your trials... It suggests that you have forgotten that God uses even your trials for your good. That's what it's saying. It's saying if I faint, if I put up the white flag, if, I'm, if I surrender, if I walk away, if I quit praying, get out of church, get discouraged, get weary, and sort of jump off the potter's wheel and say, no more for me, then it shows that we have forgotten that God's going to use even our trials to train us and discipline us and work it for our good. So God speaks in Proverbs and he speaks in Hebrews in what one commentator puts it this way, as in the utmost and with the utmost tenderness as unto his own dear children, saying, my son, my daughter, don't 
despise. Don't take lightly. Don't take flippantly the chastening, the discipline, the training of the Lord on your life. We're to be very, very careful when trials come and difficult times come. In all the circumstances surrounding our life, we're to be very, very careful. We don't impute those circumstances to something like fate or chance or this is just kind of happening to me. But here's the deal. Hebrews wants us to to see the hand of God working in our circumstances. He's working. Are you ready for this? God works even in your failures. God works in your failures. He works through your mistakes. He works through the good times. He works through the bad times. He works through the adversarial times. He works through the tough times, the trying times, the valley times, the oven times. He works in all of it and through all of it. And and, and he's telling us here, I want you to learn to see, discern the hand of God. Like a silver lining of grace working through your life. You know how often we fail to discern the hand of God in our circumstances and the details of our life? We fail to see it. We, we get very, very short-sighted and we say, okay, I'm going through all these different things and, and we stop right there. We see it through the eyes of flesh and we don't discern the hand of God. But let me give you some good news out of the Bible. The Bible says, one of my favorite passages, Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you. I'm going to say that again. You are God's project. You are God's day and night project. You are on the potter's wheel, and every single day the hands of God are coming into your life to form you and mold you and shape you into the image of his son. So he says, he says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and giving you the power to do what pleases him. So can we say together, God's at work in me, in the good times and in the bad, in the ups and in the downs, times when I don't sense him, he is still working in me. I was thinking of Jacob, you know, Jacob was a real, I love studying the life of Jacob. Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau because he had stolen from Esau his birthright. So he fled from Esau. Esau was a burly hunter kind of guy. And, and Jacob was, was kind of live in the tent and watch TV and play video games kind of guy. And, and so, so uh, he, he, he really made Esau mad. So he fled home. He fled hearth and home, fled into the wilderness. And the Bible records this in Genesis 28, 11. It says, he came to a certain place and stayed there all night. It was in the wilderness. He came to a place. Now, I want you to know that Genesis 28, 11 happened in the darkest hour, the, the, the darkest midnight hour of Jacob's life. He had never known a darker time than this right here. He was being tested. He was being tried. He was fearful. He had fled from home in fear for his life, leaving his beloved parents, had stepped into an unknown future. He had no idea what the future held. He was just going, running, running in fear, looking behind him. Is Esau catching me? Is he tracking me? Is he stalking me? That night, he laid his head down. Are you ready for this? On a rock for a pillow. A rock was his pillow. And he fell into a fitful sleep. And the Bible says he dreamed a 
Now, famous dream. He dreamed of a ladder. The ladder was reaching up into heaven. And lo and behold, he looked at that ladder in this dream. And on that ladder, angels were ascending and descending up and down on that ladder. He had a vision of all kinds of angelic activity. Angels going up, angels coming down, the ladder extending right from where he was. And when he woke up, Jacob said this with trembling lips. I want you to watch this. He said, surely the Lord is in this place. But I like the next part. He was honest. He said, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place. But I didn't know it. He's in this hard place, this midnight place, this dark place. I, I didn't sense him. I didn't discern him. But, but now I see that, that his presence is with me in a, in a way that is mightier than I ever dreamed. He's with me in my darkest hour. But I wasn't discerning him. There he was alone, destitute, with no certain future. And yet he discovered, surely the Lord is in this place. Surely the Lord is with me. And I didn't know it. I didn't discern it. In the worst trial of Jacob's life, the Lord was in that place, working with him, shaping his future character, disciplining him, training him for his finest hour. I don't know what that does to you, but... It blesses me because, watch this, the Bible reveals that God had been leading him every step of the way. He wasn't aware of it. To Jacob, I'm just running. I'm running for my brother. I'm running for my life, running for my safety. I don't know where I'm going to end up. But the Bible reveals that God had been leading and ordering his steps every step of the way. He would soon arrive at his uncle Laban's house where he would spend 20 years. And there he would meet and marry Rachel and Leah and sire 12 sons who would be the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in all of Jacob's troubles, watch this, God was weaving the tapestry of his life, weaving into Jacob's life his eternal plan, bringing into existence the embryonic nation of Israel that would one day bring forth Messiah. Yet Jacob's testimony was, the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. I didn't discern it. Have you stopped to consider that the Lord is with you right now in your trial? He is with you in what you're going through and he is weaving his plan out in your life no matter what men or devils do. Can I tell you today, God has decreed that you're going to make it. God has decreed that you're going to arrive at the end of what he started you in in the beginning. The same God that helped you start the race is gonna help you finish the race. That race of faith, the author of your faith is gonna finish your faith and the author of your race is gonna finish that race. And in the race of faith, God's will is going to be done. And I want to encourage you to look beyond your troubles, beyond your sorrows, and see the hand of God working through it all to bring to pass his plan. I want you to say with me, he's weaving his plan no matter what men or devils do. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, I love this. These troubles and sufferings of ours are, after all, quite small and won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. Give the Lord a hand. That's a great passage. Amen. So here's Jacob. Jacob realized, wow, through it all and in it all, 
God was with me, working out his plan, weaving out his, his design for me, his destiny for me, and he's doing that for you. Whatever you're facing, you're in a valley, you're in an oven of fiery testing. There are some unknown, uncertain things in your life, and the Lord wants you to know I'm there, I'm there. Though you don't discern it, I'm there, and I'm going to walk you through it. Aren't you glad we've got somebody that carries us on his great, big, strong shoulders and walks us through to the end? Now, now, since the word endure is used three times in the first eight verses, three times, endure, 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 persevere, don't quit, don't give up, don't give in, don't call it a day, don't pick up your marbles and go home. Don't be so weary and so discouraged that you quit. Endure, endure, endure. Clearly, he was talking to people who were in heavy trials and tribulation. He says, I know what you're going through is tough, but you have not yet spilled your own blood in your battle against sin. Now, we here today can say, most of us can say that. Most of us have never spilled blood in a battle against sin. Not yet. Our brethren throughout the world sure are. There are people being martyred each and every day, people being martyred right now as I speak. In the name of, they're shedding blood in their battle against sin. But right now, us, no. And the Hebrews that he wrote to, clearly not. They had not begun to experience the hot breath of martyrdom on them. He says, you've not yet spilled your own blood in your battle against sin. But in their great trial of faith, he exhorts them, consider... Jesus. He first said, looking unto Jesus, keep your focus on Jesus. Then he said, I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to consider Jesus. I want you to think about him. In all of your suffering, think about, ponder, meditate on, consider what he's been through. The hostility he endured from sinners, slapped in the face, beaten with fists, beard plucked out, crown of thorns thrust upon his glorious head, stripped naked in front of God and man, whipped within an inch of his life, had to drop his cross and someone else carry it up Golgotha's hill because he grew so weak. Consider Jesus. When you're going through your trouble, think about him because he stands in front of you, the captain of your faith, And he turns and looks at you and says, I get it, I understand, you're in the fire, but I've gone before you and I'm going to strengthen you. And as I made it, you're going to make it. As I got there, you're going to get there. As I persevered, you're going to persevere. Consider Jesus. While you haven't yet shed blood in your race of faith, he did. And he goes before us. Then he says, oh, By the way, by the way, you have forgotten something very important to the success of your race. He says, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise, take lightly the chastening, the training, the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves thee. Chastens. Now, I used to read that and say, what in the world does chastening have to do with my race? Me running the race of faith. Where, where does chastening come in? You know, I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm running this race. I'm trying to crucify my flesh, walk with God, walk with, walk with Jesus and please him. And So why would he suddenly insert this whole thing about chastening 
into the issue of the race of faith. Here's how it fits. In our race of faith, we're going to experience trials, difficulties, setbacks, persecutions, and testings. Now, I'm going to be honest with you today. Right now, in in America, if you're a Christian, you're at a certain level of, you know, you experience some criticism, you experience uh, some some uh, muzzling of, of things you say because of political correctness. There's, there's a level of persecution that has come into the United States. But if things continue as they are, it's going to get hotter out there, church. So I'm going to tell you now, we need what we're hearing today about the race of faith in Hebrews 12 and not fainting and not giving up. Because God promises in Hebrews, here's the deal, to use our trials and use the difficulties, use even persecutions to accelerate our spiritual growth and bring us into spiritual maturity. He wants people who are, who, yeah, when we're born again, we're spiritual babies in diapers. We complain, we whine, we wet our diapers, we leave messes. But God wants everyone in here to grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ, to grow into maturity where we're no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and driven by emotions. But we are like Peter who was as unstable as water, but he became just like a rock. And that's what Jesus wants for us. Paul said, I'm praying for you, I'm interceding for you, that you grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ, that you look like him, think like him, walk like him, talk like him, minister like him, love like him, conquer like him, win like him. So he says, I want you to remember three things in your race of faith. First, in your trials, remember, God is deeply concerned about your welfare. He reminds us in Hebrews that we are his children. We're his children, his sons and his daughters. He says, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And we can add daughters. In other words, he brings our relationship with God into family. We are family. We're not just believers. We are not just adherents to some faith. But we are God's very own children. And he says, because of that, he is deeply concerned for your welfare. You're his son. You're his daughter. Now, let me, let me make this simple for you. I, I, I deal with the needs and the hurts and the trials of hundreds of people, hundreds of people. On any given day, there are typically several in our congregation that Kathy and I are focused on, praying for, uh, contacting, visiting, trusting God to touch, trusting God to help. And we hurt with them. That's honest truth. We hurt with them. We weep with them. And we rejoice with them when they get good news. We, we carry it. We walk with it. And that's part of what we're called to do. And I'm fine with it. That's, that's great. That's wonderful. But let me tell you the truth. I'll be honest with you. Let one of my own children, Jeremy or Julia, suffer pain or suffer trouble And it pulls something out of me that does not come out towards you. Don't leave the church over that. (laughs) But if I had one of my children over here hurting and one of you over here, and I only had time to go to one or the other, remember Sophie's choice? I would have to go to my children. And I think if I did anything other, you'd think I was weird. 
Because why? Because they're my flesh and blood offspring children. So they're able to elicit from me, draw from me a level of emotion, a level of compassion and concern that no one else can. And that's what God is telling us. He says, I'm deeply concerned for your welfare because you are my sons. You are my daughters. Listen to Galatians 4, 6 to 7, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Let's just try that. Are you ready? One, two, three. Abba, Father. Do you remember that time when you said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and be my Savior? And his spirit came to live inside of you. And his spirit testified to your spirit that you were now a child of God. And do you remember the first time you said and really meant it? Father. Because now you're his child. And he goes on to say, you're no longer a slave, but you're God's own child. Since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You're going to receive everything Jesus gets. Everything. And he's going to get a lot. You're going to rule and reign with him. So in our trials, he says, remember, God deeply cares about your welfare, and he's walking through it with you. Now, he cares so much, in fact, that he wants us to remember a second thing. And here it is. He promises to take what the devil means for evil and work it for our good. He said, I want you to remember that. No matter what is happening to you, no matter what has come against you, God has made a decree that he is going to take what the devil meant for evil and he's going to work it for your good. Can I tell you that the child of God is, is always in a win-win situation? Because when the devil attacks, God's going to work it for your good. When people wrong you, God's going to work it for your good. When you fail yourself, God's going to work it for your good. When you fall flat on your own face, God's going to work it for your good. God says, no matter what you go through, I'm going to work it out for your good. Now, these Hebrew believers were clearly under heavy trial, and apparently all they could see was their difficulties. And the, and the Bible tells us in chapter 12 how bad it was. He said, he said, in their race of faith, their feet were dragging, their hands were hanging down, their knees had grown shaky, they were all shook up, they didn't have any more energy, no more drive, no more push. They had had it, they were about to give in. And he says, hey, remember, remember. So the writer tells them, don't you forget, God is using these trials to train you, to mature you, to strengthen you. And he's using them to bring the discipline into your life that you really do want. That's why God disciplines us. You know why God disciplines you and me? Because disciplined people become people who are disciplined. In other words, those who endure God's discipline in their lives become the kind of disciplined people they always really wanted to be. How many of you wish you had more self-control and more self-discipline? Tell the truth. Tell the truth in the house of God. Okay. Somebody said once to Tom Landry, the former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, I'm going to go ahead and say it, in the glory days. He said, they, they said this to Tom, they said, Man, your team 
must really love to work out because they do it with so much enthusiasm. He replied, no, 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 no. Let me tell you the truth. They do what they don't really want to do at all so they can be what they really want to be. That's a lot of wisdom in that. See, they do what they don't want to do so they can be what they really want to be. And sometimes the only way you and I will ever reach the level of spiritual maturity that God desires for us and that we really want deep down is for God to allow some pain into our life. Now, now some of you are going to reject that and say, don't speak that over me. Okay, I don't have to speak it over you. It's going to come anyway. <laughs> we live in a painful world. We live in a troubled world. There's no way you can live in this world without getting hurt and having some pain. But I'm here to tell you, God never wastes a pain. God never wastes even a pain in our life. And God says, I'm going to use it for your good, and I'm going to use that pain to bring discipline. Do you remember what David said in Psalms 119? He said, before I was afflicted, I drifted. But now I keep your word. Have you noticed that when you're in pain, boy, do you seek God. When you're in pain, man, do you get into that word. When you're in pain, you get into that prayer closet, you dust it off, you get on your knees, get on your face, seek the face of God, cry out on him. Discipline comes into your life when you're going through a trial. Before I was afflicted, I drifted. But now I'm keeping your word. Folks, God uses discipline. Disciplined people become people who are disciplined and disciplined people are the most successful people of all. So in our trials, we become trained to daily get in the word, trained to pray, trained to shun the things of the flesh. In our troubles, Satan attacks God's children to break them, but God uses it to make them. What the devil means for evil, God turns for our good. What the devil sends to destroy us, God uses to train us. What the devil hopes will ruin us, God uses to mature us. So verse 7 says, in the Living Bible, it says, Let God train you, for he is doing what any loving father does for his children. So when I'm in a trial, when I've got difficult circumstances, I let those things train me. I let them squeeze me into tighter self-discipline, seeking God, getting into his word, getting into prayer. I come out, I go into the trial with this level of spiritual maturity. I come out in this level. He used it to train. He used it to bless. He's not telling us that God sends the persecutions. He's saying that God said, I'm going to use them. He's telling us that God will use them to bring discipline and maturity into our lives. So I want you to remember, God deeply cares. And God is working through your trials. And then the third thing he wants to remember, I'm going to close with this. Remember the end product. There's always an afterword. There's always the end. There's always the end product for what you go through. Now, no chastening, discipline, training seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, that's what he wants our eyes on. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know what the fruit of righteousness is? Love, I love like Jesus. Joy, I have his joy. Peace, I walk in the peace of Jesus. 
Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. You run across somebody, and they see that you're not getting freaked out about things like you used to. Used to any little thing, you were all shook up. Oh, But now, you experience tribulation and trial, and you're calm as a cucumber. I think of Peter in front of a little damsel girl when he's young in the faith. You were with him. I wasn't with him. Yeah, I saw you with him. I never even known him. No, your speech betrays you. You were with him. And then he began to curse and to swear, and he denied Jesus and went out and wept bitterly. He couldn't even stand up in that. But years later, he's in jail, and he's about to be beheaded. And he falls asleep in prison so deeply that an angel's got to smite him with a sword to get him to wake up. Say, Peter, how did you get this way to being so easily shaken to like a rock. Well, I've been with the trainer. I've been with the trainer. Jesus, he's my trainer. And he's trained me. And having gone through his training and allowing trials to train me and strengthen me and mature me, now I know he's got it and he's got me. So if they take off my head, I'm going to heaven. If they don't, I'm going to keep on preaching. Amen. Amen. So let's stand together, can we? Say with me, the end product is I'm going to look like Jesus. Now, can we lift our hands to that great God, the faithful one we sang about? And I want you to say with me, Lord, I believe you deeply care for my welfare. And I believe you're going to work all things to train me into godliness. And I believe I'm going to look more like Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God is so good. Now, I want to take a moment, and I want to ask you to do a little spiritual exercise here at the end. I want you to cast your cares upon the Lord. Some of you are carrying a heavy weight today. You're real concerned. You're worried. The cares of the world are buffeting you. I want you to take this message, and it's a message of faith. It's a message of hope. And I want you to say, Lord, I roll these burdens upon you. I cast these cares upon you. And I leave them there. And we're going to sing, I surrender all. Thank you, Lord. I surrender all. Can you do it right now? Lift your hands and say, Lord, I give it all to you. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. Make it a prayer of faith. I surrender all. all the troubles, all the pain. I surrender all. I give it all to you, Lord. All to 
heads bowed for just a moment of prayer. If you can say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord, but I've drifted. Before I was afflicted, I drifted. I've drifted some. And I'm out there in a place where I'm really not comfortable. I know that the Lord's been prompting me to come home to full commitment. I'm talking to you right now. Forget about everybody around you. No one in here matters. But you and him, listen carefully to me. He knows your name. He knows your address. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're going. And he knows the best place for you is in the epicenter of his will. So I want to just be his voice to you for a moment and encourage you and call you to say, today, I'm going to commit my life to the Lord. Get back right in the center of what he wants for me. That's for you. Maybe today, you've never said, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, be my Savior. He's calling you. And sometimes he calls right before there's real trouble. He extends grace before we go too far. And perhaps he's extending that grace to you right now. Before you go too far. Before you get really out there in some serious trouble. Come to him. Come to him. So with our heads bowed, if you're in either one of those categories, would you let me pray for you? Just slip your hand up and say, I'll let you pray for me. Jeff, I'll let you pray for me. I see you. Many of you. God bless you. Many of you. I'll tell you what I want to do quickly. Listen carefully to me. I want you to forget about everybody. Don't worry about a thing. I want you to slip out from where you are. And I want you to come and stand in front of me right here. Come now, come quickly. Come real quickly. If you stand there and wait and pause, you're not going to do it. So why do I have to come down there? Because Jesus walked up Golgotha's hill for you. You can come down here right now. Say, I need him. I need him. I need him. I'm going to wait for you to come from all over this building. This is the beginning of the end, and it's also the beginning of a brand new beginning. It's the beginning of your old life. It's the beginning of a new one. We're going to walk with him. We're going to get back in that race. We're in that race for the first time. So pray with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. Lord, forgive me and wash and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I come to you. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. And guide me from this moment forward. 
I wholly yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at me just for a minute. I rejoice with you. I wish I had time to sit down with every one of you and talk to you. But I want you to do something. This man here, his name is Robert. He's going to take you into a back room for just a couple of minutes. And we want to give you something to take home with you. Very important. He wants to pray with you some more. Because I can see by some of you the Lord's not finished. So go with him, would you? Right back there, there's a couple of other prayers are going to go with him. Follow him back there.